Well, hello, everybody. Good morning and welcome once again to Downtown Community. My name is Wayne. I'm the pastor here. And today I'm pre-recording this because uh, tomorrow I am scheduled for shoulder surgery. And so most likely uh, tomorrow being like when I'm recording this now. So it'll be a couple days before Sunday. And most likely I will not be able to be with you in person or very lucid if I am with you in person. So we're going to record this and engage this new series we're calling Twisted. And we're going to do this for just a couple Sundays, but we're going to look at a couple of the most misused verses that we see in Scripture. And when we misuse these, it informs our theology in a bad way, and it can eventually lead to you walking away from the faith sometimes, depending on how you interpret it. And it turns us, you know, God kind of into a genie in the lamp. So we're going to look at where, you know, it says, I have plans for you and plans to prosper you. We're going to look at today at where Jesus says, you can ask whatever in my name, and just kind of help us unpack what these things really mean. And I think you'll gain a lot from this. Even if you're not a Christ follower, this is something that'll be very interesting for you. Have you ever thrown out like a, a miracle prayer, like a, 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 you just hope God will help you, like a genie in a lamp type of thing? Or maybe you think that this is how you pray to God? I remember being a long time ago in college and, and wanting this girl to, to date me. And so I, I offered up the girlfriend, God, please, 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 please let her like me. Let her, you know, really go. And like somehow God's going to change her heart and cause her to really like me. There's something in you. You, you pray that prayer. Or I remember one time in, uh, early on in the job market, I was interviewing for this job in Connecticut. And it was, it was at a church, actually. And it was coming down between me and one other person. And, I, and, and so I really was hoping to get this. I love the people there. I'd engage with them. It had been a long interview process. So I'm just praying, God, please, please. And, you know, you want it. That's actually a good thing to pray for a job. But I'm praying, like, this has got to be it, God. You've got to help me get this job. Or maybe you've done that with a test or a work presentation. You're on the subway going into work, and you didn't really prepare. And so you're just praying that somehow God's going to inspire you and maybe blind people's eyes or something to, to see beyond the lack of preparation. And we just throw out a lot of these like genie in the lamp type of prayers. Have you ever looked back at them and laugh? Or maybe you've prayed, God, if you just get me out of this, whatever it is, I will serve you forever. But then as soon as you get past it, the emotion is gone you forget about God, or maybe you look back and you're like, man, I'm, I'm glad I didn't get that job, and I'm glad this thing didn't happen. But a lot of times we pray like this. What do, what do you think drives this mentality? What do you think drives us engaging God in these emergency moments or for, you know, sometimes little things that are so urgent in the moment? Well, there's a place where we go and we look at Scripture where Jesus said this. He says, you will... He says, he says, you will do whatever I ask in your name. Like we, he will do whatever you ask in his name. And so I think we go back and we say, well, God, Jesus, you said you'll do whatever I ask in your name. So I'm just going to throw all this stuff out there. In fact, let's look at what he said. This is found in John 14, verses, uh, John 14, verses 13 and 14. Two verses here. Okay, ready? Here we go. He says, and this is Jesus speaking. He says, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Like he restates what he said. 
So does that mean that I'll get the job, uh, that I'll marry the model, or I'll win the lottery? Like, like man, if we're going to ask anything in his name, let's just kind of go for the big ones, okay? Like, um, but, but how about the person that was praying for a curable cancer for their loved ones? You know, a, 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 an answer to a cancer that was terminal and finding a cure for it. But then they prayed and they prayed and they prayed. But then their loved one passed away from this cancer anyway. What do you do about that? He, Jesus said, I said all these things. Uh, but my neighbor married the model or got the car or got the job. Like, so then you say, well, obviously this verse isn't true. Or we've twisted it. Or we've twisted it. And this is important. And so what I want to do is to start off, and we're gonna, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll do this next week as well, but just give you a very simplified version of how we interpret Scripture to help you. Because this can happen with, you know, because when we read Scripture, sometimes it's not always clear. But a simplified version. So here are three very simple thoughts for, to help you and I as we engage Scripture. And this will be a foundation for us as we walk through today. So here's all three. We'll put them up for you. First one is this. Understand the context. You need to understand the context in which this was written, what was coming before it, what is written after it, the whole context, not just the one word, word or the one verse, but you know, the whole chapter and even the whole letter or book that has been written. Who wrote it? And who was this person writing it to? To whom was it written? And what was the overall message going on? Because you can just flip through, grab a verse, and hope that it applies to your life right then and there. But who was that written to and what was it for? So understanding the context is very important. All right, the second thing is we interpret scriptures with other scriptures. There are things that corroborate with one another. And so we hear a principle, you ask this in my name, well, what else did Jesus teach? He taught about a lot of things. We look at all of his, his words. We don't just base everything on our experience and what we're reading right now and the context. No, we look at the entirety of Scripture and how it all works together because it does. And so we interpret Scripture with other Scripture, with other teachings, that had, and especially when we look at Jesus' words, you can see how what he taught helps you connect the dots together. So that is very important as well. And then the third thing is, is that you apply what you learn. You know, the, the scriptures are given to us as, as letters to be lived out, to engage in. Does it apply in your life? Does it actually function? Does your interpretation function in the real world. It's not just a text to be studied. This is written to be life-changing for us to soak in. And a lot of times we're asking for God to speak to us, but we, we neglect reading Scripture, which is His words to us. He has given it to us to help us understand Him, and, and many times He's actually speaking, He's spoken to us, and we can know about who God is and how we live our lives. So we, we begin to apply what we learn. So let's do that a little bit with John 14, okay? So we'll start real easy. Who wrote the book of John? You don't have to say it out loud. That'd be kind of awkward or weird anyway. But 
It was John. The, the book is called John because John wrote it. That's very easy. Great. That's awesome. Um, well, if you read throughout John, he has a main theme that he is trying for helping us to see. And so as we read through this, we find that, Je- that John is wanting to prove and show us that Jesus is the Son of God. That Jesus is the Son of God. So he writes at the very beginning, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh, and the Word dwelt among us. And he was talking about Jesus, and he was this beautiful opening. Uh, you should read John chapter 1. In fact, you should read the entire book of John. It's an incredible scripture to learn about who Christ is. He's helping us and showing us that he was the Son of God. And so that is the overall message that we read throughout all of John's letter. And so then, what is the message of John 14? Now, John didn't write this in these chapters. We've, this is something that, that happened a long time later. Where we just kind of gave it a numbering system to help us identify where to go. And so that chapter or that section of John 14, what is this message? Well, we see Jesus speaking and, and, and he's saying, don't freak out. He says, don't worry. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Jesus is saying, I am the way. He says, the Holy Spirit is coming, so do not worry. He's giving us these reassuring words, talking about that one day there is a place in heaven, and that's why I've come, to prepare a place for you. I'm going to go and do this. He, and, he, and he's saying that the Holy Spirit is going to come, all these things to help us not to worry. So when Jesus is talking, he's been talking about preparation that he's making for you. He's not in the context of prayer. He's in the context of preparation. And so the context of John is to help us see that Jesus is the Son of God. And then the big theme of this section is not actually about prayer, but about the preparation that Jesus is going to make. Isn't that interesting? So, with all of that known, let's go back and reread the passage and not make ourselves the main character, but make Jesus the main character. All right, that's going to help us see this a little bit better. And by the way, in Scripture, God is the main character. It is about Him. Everything is about His glory. It's pointing towards him. And so we need to learn and re- remind ourselves to read it in this way. It's not us, just so you know. Okay, and that very helps. Okay, so here we go. Let's go back. John 14, verse 13. He says, and what he says, and I will do whatever you ask in my name. And then he says this, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So that God the Father may be glorified in Jesus. When he says the Son, he's talking about himself. God the Son. He says, he says, he says I will do whatever ask you ask in my name so that God will be glorified in me, in his Son. Isn't that interesting? So the reason that God answers prayer is not so that our lives would be better. That we would have more money or better vacations or that we'd have the apartment that we always dreamed of. And if you live here, there's an there's apartment that you always dreamed of is always being built. <laughs> the next one that you're dreaming of once you get in one. But he, he's not answering prayer, so all these things are happening in our lives. Why does he answer prayer? 
so that the Father may be glorified, that God will get glory. We've talked about this recently because that's the best thing that could happen in our world. He is the greatest thing that we could pursue, and that's what we proclaim as Christ followers, that God is the ultimate, and that Jesus has made a way for us to be with him. And so it's so that the Father may be glorified. And when we read this, not seeing ourselves as the main subject of Scripture, but with God as the main subject of, of Scripture, what we've called, what many times people call the Bible, we realize that there is a much different purpose to our prayers than most of us realize. And listen, I'm going to be honest. I, I need to be reminded of this of myself. But you're going to discover when you, when, you, when you match Scripture with Scripture, you interpret Scripture with Scripture, and you read Jesus' word, and you read really the context of the entirety of Scripture, that God is the purpose of this. And that, and that Jesus is pointing us to the thing that will bring us life, the thing that will bring us the greatest satisfaction, not an appetite that has to constantly be fulfilled, but something that's eternal with great purpose. And so we find a different purpose of what prayer has been designed to do. Now, does God, does God care about uh, the circumstances of our lives? Yes. Do we see examples of people being prayed for because they are sick? Yes. Do we, pre, you know, do we see us asking? Yeah, God has given us a place. And we see when Jesus gave it as an example of prayer that he's, he said, give us a, our daily bread. It is a part of prayer, but it's not the ultimate purpose the purpose is so that the Father, God the Father, may be glorified. So why talk about this scripture today? And I, 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 this is so key because so many times I have seen people walk away from faith in God, from belief in Jesus, because God did not do what they wanted God to do. In fact, if you follow him long enough, you're going to get to a place where you've prayed and you've sought him out. And the answer that you were looking for and the direction of your life that you thought God was pointing you towards, whatever it may be, you're going to come to a place where you don't hear an answer. Or circumstances and things happen in your life that go the opposite of what you ever wanted to do. And if your foundation that you stand upon with God is for him to get those things for you. Eventually, it will not happen. It will not work out. And if that is your foundation, you'll walk away from God. You'll be devastated. Because the purpose, ultimately, was you. And, and the pain of life, the consequences of sin, even the sins of others, the, the decay of our bodies and, and cancer or relationships and everything else that comes into the world in our lives. When things don't go well, we can walk away. And the sad part is we are, we're missing out on the great purpose 
Because those are the very moments that we need to be going to God, that He wants to lean in with us and be strength in our life and to bring comfort and to help us in, in all those different things. That's when we need God the most, when many times we're turning the other way. There are times in my life where I have experienced God working in prayer. And many times it's been when it's, been, it's directed towards God's purpose in my life. But there's been many times where I've prayed for something to happen and it didn't. Where I've, I, I remember where I was, my life was, I had given my life to God to serve Him full time in ministry. And I was experiencing this great flow of purpose. I, had, I had moved to a different part of the country that was exciting for me. It was a different, it was in the Northeast. I had, I had not lived in that area. This was a long time ago. And I felt, and I could see God working. And I could see a purpose. And God was directing me and to be part of churches that were being started and experiencing that. And to be in an area where there were not that many churches and there were not that many leaders. And there was a need for that. And I experienced the joy of being with others and starting those things and all that. And, and Everything was kind of going in trajectory, and then all of a sudden it stopped. I could see a, a place of, of, you know, of upheaval coming. The, the funding for the position I had was running out, and I began to pray, and I began to pray, and I began to pray. And the answer that eventually came along was to move away from that area to another job. And I was devastated. The story suddenly went in the opposite direction that I thought it would go. God was working. The calling and the purpose never changed. But it just didn't go the way I thought it would. And there was a period of time that I needed to walk through that he was working in, just not the way I saw at the time. I didn't walk away from him, but I, I went to him in confusion. Sometimes it doesn't work out, but God was in it. There was a purpose. There's been other times, though, where I've walked through things, and I mentioned my wife Erin and I, we've prayed for, you know, for things, and we've seen God work in very visible ways. After Hurricane Sandy, we had lost everything. Our apartment was flooded, and we began to just purposefully, we, like, we, we were like, we know that we can trust God. We have been flooded bef before in our story. And so we begin to say, you know what? We know that we can trust God, that he is going to provide for us, that he's called us to live in this city, even when things are hard and we've lost everything and we don't have an apartment and we've got three kids, like one, two, and three years old and all this insanity. And we just said, you know what? We're just going to begin to pray. And we made a list of things that would happen. And part of those prayers were that we would grow closer to our community and get connected to our neighbors. And that happened. But we had tangible prayers like an apartment and and all these other things. And I remember we found an apartment a week later. God answered that prayer. And we ended up being in that apartment for like eight years. It took us about four months to get into that apartment. And it was a crazy process. And we were going from place to place waiting for that to become available. But there were tangible things. There are things that we still have that we see God answering in prayer. And people from all over the country came in and supported us. And it was amazing to see God at work in a very real and visible way. And I think one of the things that was so interesting about this, it was, it was focused on God getting glory. And it was one of those things that our neighbors, you know, they began to say, how are you so joyful in a time of struggle? 
And the only answer we could give is that our hope is in God and not in our things. They were like, you've lost everything and we've, we've lost power and we're freaking out. But you've lost everything and you're seeing okay. And we were, we were proclaiming our hope is in God. God used that to be glorified in our lives. It pointed people to Jesus, not us. So, let's take a step with this scripture passage for the, 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 the last part of this time that we have to, together. And let's look at interpreting scripture with scripture. And look at what matters to God when you pray. What matters to God? How can he be glorified when we pray? So let's walk through these things. These things. Here's the first one. The first one is this. Your relationships matter. Your relationships matter. Listen to this. This is found in, in Mark chapter 11. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Isn't that interesting? So he's like, you know, you go to God and say, hey, God, I want a pony, but I hate my brother. He's the worst. And like, I won't speak to him and all these different things. You know, in John, in, in John, we find, if you read in the Gospel of John, you eventually come where it says, he says, you, you cannot say that you love God and hate your brother. And Jesus says, you need to forgive. You need to forgive. We hold grudges. We have all these things happening in our heart. And then and the same sinners are like, God, help me here and help me do all, all these different things. But then we're terrible to other people. Jesus says, that is getting in the way for you. So he's showing us that your relationships matter. Your heart matters. And so we need to learn to do this. Like this happens with our kids. The kids are fighting. They're like, he touched me and he did these things, right? And like, and then, you know, I can't do all these things. We say, well, you need to apologize. You can't have this friend over while all these things are happening. You need to learn to reconcile with each other. There's other interesting scriptures that we find, and I want to bring this one out because it's kind of like its own little mini misinterpreted scripture on its own. This is 1 Peter 3, 7, and here's what it says. It says, husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. So he's talking about marriage here. He says, and treat them with respect as the weaker partner, as heirs with you of this gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. There's that phrase again, your prayers being hindered. Now, now if you read this, the first thing you, you, you see and that, that catches your attention most likely is it says, he says, treat them with respect, treat your wives with respect as the weaker partner. Now, what does he mean there? Well, going into the culture and the context of the time, this was in the time when Rome was in its heyday. And the culture of the time was that, that men would dominate. And in marriages, if you, because they were physically stronger, the culture of the time thought, well, you know what? We can do whatever we want, that they're subject to us. And so women and children were heavily mistreated. And Christianity came along, and Christ's followers stepped in and began to, st to state a new ethic. And we see this in Scripture where they were like, no, in your marriage, you were equal partners. 
You are co-partners together. He says, just because you are stronger doesn't mean a thing. He says, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. And heirs with you of this gracious gift of life. So it was raising the bar of what relationships meant, what marriage meant, and it's incredible. And he's like, husbands, you need to be considerate so that nothing will hinder your prayers. We see that your relationships matter. How are your relationships right now? All right. So let's go to the second thing. We find in Scripture when it comes to prayer and giving God glory is that your motives matter. Your motives matter. Listen to James 4.3. James says, when you ask, so when you're asking, when you're going to God with petitions of prayer, and you do not, he says, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. James is great when he talks about prayer and how we engage in conflict with one another and how we engage with God. He's like, your heart is in the wrong place. And James is someone who was a follower of Christ, saw him. He's one of the early leaders in the church. And we see Jesus point this out. In Jesus' teaching, he constantly was, was showing these religious leaders that were all about show. And they were praying. And they would pray out in the open. And they would pray to be seen. And Jesus is like, you know what? They've got all the reward that they're going to get. He's like, their prayer, their whole prayer was just to be seen doing it, and everybody saw them, and that's it. And we do the same. All right? So, you know, you have the wrong motives. Well, maybe you're praying, uh, you know, for this, you know, your cute girl that you see that you want to date, and you're like, you know, that I probably, you know, she, she doesn't believe in God, and we have a lot of differences in our lives. So, you know, I'm just going to pray that she, she begins to follow God so we can, we can date more seriously. I don't know, like something so crazy like that, you begin to pray with motives for that only, it's really just about you. You just want to create a scenario that everything works out and your parents will approve and maybe God will approve and all these different things. Like we, we find ways to, to, to begin to go about it with wrong motives, right? God, help me win the lottery. I, if that happens, then I'll consistently give a percentage of my income to you. Then I'll really trust you. I don't know why I keep mentioning the lottery, but anyway, I, I, I don't really play the lottery, but th- there you go. So our motives matter. Is this really about you when you pray these things? Now, sometimes it is, and it's genuine, but think about your motives. Proverbs 16.2 says this. It says, all a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. But motives are weighed by the Lord. Your relationships matter. Your motives matter. And number three is your faith matters. James, James chapter 1, 6 and 7, he says this. He says, he says, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. There's this place where we, we, just, we allow doubt into our life, where we are just constantly like, oh, I'm not sure about this, and we don't really engage with God, and we're kind of torn. The picture of this, this scripture 
passage is, is, just, is that when James is writing here, is just someone who's constantly influenced one way or the other. You don't really believe in God. You're just kind of swinging this way in this moment. But then you're swinging the other way in your own personal endeavors and your selfishness and all these different things. And you're just kind of all over the place in your life. And we wonder, why isn't God working in my life? We feel so disconnected to Him, not because of what He's done, but because of how we live our lives. Jesus said so many times when He engaged with people, it was their faith, their trust and belief in Him that healed them, that brought them to faith and all these different things. Like in Matthew 9, 29 and 30, He says, it says Then Jesus touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. He was, he was engaging those who had been blind. He says, and their sight was restored. They believed that he was the son of the God, that he could do it. He said, it was your faith. According to your faith, their sight was restored. Okay, so does that mean that if my relationships are good, my motives are right, and I've got all this great faith. I believe that God's going to do it, that God will do what I want. Right? So you see it and you be it or you name it. This is weird phrases, but people say this. Name it, claim it, uh, blab it. You can grab it, right? It's up to me if I just have enough faith. So this is where we can take this, okay? I just want to just kind of go here for a moment, right? So then all of a sudden, God is your magic genie. Not quite. Not quite. Because this is where we go with this. Well, I've, I've, I ask for forgiveness from everybody in my life, right? And, you know, like I cleared up everything and, and, you know, my motives are good. Like if I do this, you know, God will get, whatever me. Well, there's one more thing that's really important and it's this. Number four is God's will matters. God's will matters. He knows. He is sovereign. Sovereign God. That's his nature. He is Lord over all. His will, his goodness, his character, his eternal plan, God's will matters. Moses was writing, he wrote a psalm, a Psalm 90, and he talks about God thinks from generation to generation. He's like, he's like, life isn't easy. But he, he began to, he was thinking about things from the, he was at the end of his life, thinking about God's perspective. It's from generation to generation. And I tell you, that girlfriend that I was praying for in college, I'm so glad that didn't work out. <laughs> it, it turns out we were completely different in everything. And how we wanted, what we wanted from life, what we wanted to pursue. That job in Connecticut, I didn't get it. Somebody else, they decided was the better candidate. And I am so thankful because the trajectory of my life after that was incredible. And even when things didn't work out, like I talked about earlier, when my world was turned upside down, so to speak, it went in a completely different direction. I look back and see God's purpose in that. It was like a wilderness of three years or so, but it set me up to be here where I wanted to be long term. 
it's one of the reasons why I'm here today. Let's read again from the very same John that we read out earlier. He wrote three other letters we call 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. Real original, I know, okay? So we know John's the author. Listen to what he says. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. He says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have, we have what we have asked of Him what we have asked of him. Isn't that incredible? Do you see the difference, the context that helps us understand the original scripture we read? That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. This doesn't make us God. It makes him God. And that's the thing. And here's the hidden secret. Is that the more you spend time with him, the more you discover the beauty of him and your desire to be, to be, to be following him and what he wants and his will. And you want to please him because you find that that is the best pathway for your life. And you'll begin to discover how futile some of your requests are. And these idols that you, you sought after, so to speak, that you wanted for your own pleasure and you want to please him, you'll begin to pray that way. But you'll also find in your request, your daily bread, the things that you need, you'll find that you engage them differently. And you trust him. So let's read this passage once again. John 14, 13 and 14. He says, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. There you go. Many times we pray and God answers. Other times we pray, nothing. So many people walk away from God because he didn't do exactly what they wanted him to do. But we follow God because he's God. We recognize him for who he is. He's done so much already. So the question is, what is your foundation? My faith. My faith in Christ isn't based on him answering prayers. It's solely in Jesus, the Son of God, and what he did on the cross and the empty tomb. His resurrection shows us that God is who he is, and one day he will free us from all this brokenness fully and be restored. And that leads us to different types of prayer. The last thing I'll say is this. Prayer isn't about getting what I want. Prayer is getting to know God. And that is the beauty and the privilege of life. You are invited. Let's pray. Jesus, we come before you.
And we thank you so much. God, I thank you that you've made a way for us that we can ask in your name because it's, we stand on your righteousness, what you've done, not on who we are. I thank you that we can do that, that you've made a way for us to engage with God. I pray today that we, through understanding Scripture better, would, would, would engage in a faith-filled relationship with you and we would discover the joy of knowing you. We thank you and ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.